with us and uh, it just is amazing message this morning and challenged our heart inspired us encouraged us and so you are in to be blessed and God has something special for you Pastor Eddie would you come and share the word of the Lord with us this morning welcome my friend Eddie Rent this morning to come yes 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 good morning I gotta tell you I've never heard the term shred the gnaw that's like, anybody heard that term before? Man, I just learned a new word today. I'm coming back to this church to increase my vocabulary. That was so cool. Man, I love that. I love that. I am so honored to be here. I've been looking forward to this for such a long time. One, because this church has been a great partner to Convoy of Hope. You've been such a friend to us, and you're helping us change the world. And two, I love your pastor. I tell you, you guys have one of the best pastors. He is a phenomenal. I love him. I love, he loves to laugh, have a great time. You know, some guys, they just don't have a good time. I mean, they just don't know how to have fun. Your pastor, he kind of gets on the edge sometimes, you know, on that fun. But I love him, man. I tell you, I am so blessed. And I and in you and you know and Pastor Sean, I mean, what an incredible team that you guys have at this church. When I grow up, I want to be like him. I'm working out to try to get bigger. You know, Lord's Gym. You guys all should be in shape. The Lord's Gym is right here. I mean, there's no excuse at all. You guys should be rocking it, man. I know. I know, man. Well, I'm just, I just got to tell you, I'm so grateful to be here. And I'm honored because I have my family here as well, part of my family. My wife here is here today, Judy. She, she and I are going to be married now this April, 25 years. I can't believe it. 25 years. You have no idea how big of a miracle that is that she would put up with me for 25 years. Because she is amazing. She is the, she's the CIO at William Jessup University right in Rockland. And I am so fortunate. She's my sugar mama. And I am blessed. I'm blessed. I can do what I can do because of her. You know? And I, I want Judy, stand up real quick. Because I want you to meet the most amazing person. I also have my son here. I have three. I have three uh, they're adult children now. 22-year-old daughter named Jordan, who works for K-Love. You've probably heard of K-Love before. She graduated a double major, Bible and theology, as well as business with a focus in nonprofit. And she works for K-Love, and she's just doing an amazing, amazing job there. They love her. And my, my middle daughter, Jessica, she is a double major. She's Bible and theology, but she's history with a minor in archaeology. She just got back from Israel, and uh, in fact, yes, grab my thing here for a second. I'm going to be a dad for a second, okay? My daughter, Jessica, was in Israel on a dig, and she was digging during the 4th century Babylonian period in Israel's history, and she found an idol there. And so they snapped a picture of her. And they love the picture at Biblical Archaeology, and they put her on the cover of Biblical Archaeology. This is my daughter, Jessica. And she's holding uh, the little head of a little god, you know, a little icon there. And uh, my daughter, she's like all bummed out because she always wanted to be on a cover, you know, of you know, a magazine. You think of Vogue or something else. And she goes, man, I got a dirt beard and my hair's in a bun. I mean, what? <laughs> How messed up is that? But look at her. She is just gorgeous, and, and uh, she's single, but God's will is... No, I didn't say that for some guy to get any ideas, because God's will is not here. I just want you to know that. He's not here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm so proud of her. She was about 30 miles from Gaza. And I didn't know that when she went, otherwise I wouldn't have let her go, you know. But they were hearing the bombs and the shooting and all that going off. But God is just doing an amazing work in her life. And I have my son Jonathan here. He's a double major, Bible and theology, but he is studying business, finance, accounting, all of that because, but because he feels like God wants to use him as a tent maker as well. 
But I am so blessed. My son is an amazing guy. I tell him all the time, he is a better man at, at 20 years old than I was growing up. He is just uh, has a heart for God at a young age. When I would travel and speak and, and I would fast and pray, my son would go to me, Dad, can I fast with you? Can I, can I pray with you? And I would be like, oh, oh son, you, don't, you, 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 know, you can give up some Cheerios today, but nothing more, you know. I mean, you know, but he's always had a heart for God, and I'm so proud of him. And uh, Jonathan, stand up real quick. He is, uh, he's my baby, but he is... Uh, He's an amazing, amazing young man. His friend Kayla is here with him. And um, we just want you to know, um, from Convoy of Hope, behalf of them, I just want to take just a, just a short time. I know some of you are going this June to go on a mission trip to Haiti. I just got to tell you, you're going to have an amazing time there. Convoy feeds 80,000 children every day, their only meal of the day in Haiti. God is using convoy to feed in schools, in orphanages, and we're expanding and growing it. We can do that on $10 a month per child. We can educate them, teach them about Jesus, and feed them on just $10 a month. How many know that's a big miracle right there? To do that is so supernatural. And you have helped us feed so many children. I want to tell you thank you. You're helping us respond to disasters. You're helping us train farmers how to break the cycle of poverty by increasing the yield of their crops. We've trained 6,000 already. God's changing their lives. We've trained 2,500 women how to start their own businesses. And now they're breaking the cycle of poverty. And 600 were Muslim women when they began. Now they're born again. That is a miracle from God. God's doing incredible, incredible things. We are responding to the Syrian crisis. As you know, there are 11 million Syrian refugees, 4 million that are crossing borders. Many of them are risking their lives because they're trying to save their families. I mean, they're killing Muslims and they're killing Christians over there. And they're running, escaping. You helped us. I want to tell you thank you. This church helped us to respond to the Syrian crisis in Stockholm, Sweden. There are over 200,000 Syrians that have gone into, into Sweden. And a church there in Sweden is helping Syrian refugees that are at a hotel. The government put them up there. There are 700 Syrian refugees there. Most of them are Muslim. And they're teaching them Swedish, they're helping them understand the culture, but most of all, they're doing Bible studies, haircuts, they're loving on these people, they're showing the love of God, because how many know, words are important, but showing the love of God is more important. You've got to have the vertical and the horizontal when you share Jesus. And so it's changing lives. So they put on a Christmas party and asked Convoy if we would like to help. Pastor Don heard about it, and he said, our church wants to help. And so Judy and myself, we flew to Stockholm, Sweden, and there we put on this incredible, the church put on an incredible Christmas party and gave 120 toys to children of refugees. I mean, it was just amazing. The the congregation themselves, the leadership wept because we would come because we cared about those Syrian refugees. It was such an encouragement. But more importantly, I got to preach the gospel for the first time. Most of them never heard the name of Jesus ever in their life. My interpreter was Iranian. He was a refugee that was a Muslim when he came to Stockholm, he was faithful in seeking, uh, seeking Allah, but Allah never answered his prayers. In fact, his family was stuck and could not get out, and he kept praying to Allah, get my family out, get my family out. And finally, he noticed that the church, their prayers were being answered. So he went to the leadership and he said, would you pray in the name of Jesus for my family? that God would bring my family to Sweden and we could be reunited. For three and a half years, he prayed and asked God to bring his, Allah to bring his family. In one week after we prayed in the name of Jesus, God got his family out and they're in Stockholm, Sweden. How many know we serve a big God? 
it's amazing. And now he's up there interpreting. He's on fire for God. As I was preaching, tears were running down his face. He hugged me at the end of it. He said, did you feel what I felt? He said, God was in this place. I said, yes, he was. He was there. And I want to tell you, thank you for helping us change the lives of so many people. In 21 years, Convoy of Hope has shared the gospel, has helped, served, fed, taken care of 70 million people worldwide. 70 million. Thank you so much for doing that. Well, grab your Bible, turn over to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1, please. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Maybe you have your iPad or iPhone or or Android. If you have an Android, we're going to pray for you that you'll get saved. First Samuel chapter one. I have a question for you while you're turning there. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you have unfulfilled dreams? You have a vision, a dream that God has put in your heart. You've been praying, you've been asking, you've been seeking, you've been inquiring, but nothing's happened yet. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you're, you're praying that your spouse will become saved, born again. Maybe you're praying that your marriage will be peaceful and that, that, that love will fill your home, that things will turn. Maybe your kids are away from God and you've been seeking the Lord and asking God to bring them home, to return them back to the faith. Maybe it's your health. You've been asking God to do a miracle in your body and, and there's been no answer to your prayer. There's been no miracle that's happened and you wonder, God, what's wrong with me? Maybe it's your business. You've started a business and, and you've dreamed that it would not only be successful to take care of your family, but it would be blessed so that you could fund ministry. And, and everything that could go wrong has been going wrong. It's not been working. It's not, it's not happening the way you dreamed it would happen. Maybe it's in the area of your finances. You've been faithfully tithing. And there's been nothing that has happened in your favor yet. You wonder, God, what's wrong? What do you do? When you have an unfulfilled vision or dream, when your heart is broken and grieved from a lack of response from God. Oh, I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I have believed God to do something that he's put it on my heart and I've been praying and asking God to do it, but it hasn't come to pass yet. What do you do in those times? What do you do when Things are against you. The odds are against you and nothing's changing. Do you continue to pray and believe God? Do you continue to stand in faith no matter what you see? Or do you begin to lose heart? You begin to stop praying and believing God because in your mind, nothing ever changes. The enemy keeps pointing out to you, what about them? Their prayers are being answered. What about theirs? What's wrong with you? Oh, my friend, I want you to know something today. I believe that God laid a word on my heart for you. You see, I didn't come to preach a sermon. I came to deliver a word for you because you have a, a phenomenal pastor who preaches every Sunday the word of God. And I believe that God wants to speak a rhema word to you today because I know for some of you, as you roll into 2016, there are things that you look back and say, God, you know what? That year wasn't that great. It wasn't that good. And I keep wondering when things are going to change. And the enemy's trying to get you to roll over, to give up, to lay your faith down, and to stop believing God. But I want to talk to you about Hannah. Hannah, a woman who refused to give up on her dream. I know some of you guys are going, great, he's going to talk about women today. Why am I even here? No, no, no. It may be about Hannah, but I want you to know something. There are principles in this that will speak to us as men so that we will move forward in our walk in faith. Hannah was a, a woman who against all odds, against a closed womb, a condescending, mocking other woman, a broken heart from year after year, her prayers going unanswered, she refused to give up and quit believing God to fulfill her dream. This is the amazing story of a woman who persevered through disappointment, mockery, and the absence of any signs of hope. 
You see, it's easy to believe God when things are going well. What do you do when things are going hard? When they're not working, when things are going the wrong direction, what do you do? 1 Samuel chapter 1 tells us of a man by the name of Elkanah who had two wives. Guys, how many know he's in trouble already? Not because he has two wives, but he has two mother-in-laws. So things are really, really tough. One was Hannah, and one was Panina. I think I had that sandwich over at uh, Panera, you know, one day. Panina, it sounds like a sandwich, doesn't it? Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah could not have children. Hannah was probably Elkanah's first wife. In fact, I believe that Hannah... Um, scripturally, she probably was the one that, that Elkanah married, and they were in love with one another, and they wanted to have children, but, but things were not going well. And in those days, there was a custom that took place. It was not sanctioned by God, but in those days, if a woman did not have children, the husband could take another wife so that she would bear children. See, it was all about having heirs, about keeping the line going. And, and the woman's main function during that day was to produce children so that the lineage could continue on. And here's Hannah. She can't have any children. You can imagine how sad she is. I mean, come on. Have you ever wanted something so bad and it didn't happen? She's believing God. God, do a work. And if you were a woman and you could not get pregnant, it was considered a curse from God. That God had cursed you, that God was not with you. So Hannah's disturbed. She's socially disgraced. She's brokenhearted. But Hannah joins a long line of women who went through that. Abraham's wife, Sarah, could not have children. Isaac's wife, Rebecca. Jacob's wife, Rachel. Boaz's wife, Ruth. Even Elizabeth, who gave birth to the, the great John the Baptist, could not have children. Hannah can't have children. So here comes Elkanah to Hannah going, would it be okay? And Hannah must have given permission for Elkanah to have another wife, Panina. And Panina, she's a baby-making machine. I mean, she is just pumping out kids. I mean, she's having child after child, sons and daughters. Can you imagine what she felt? I mean, Hannah, she entered this marriage just like all of us with hopes and dreams. She dreamed that she would have a great marriage, that her life with her husband would be blessed and there would be children everywhere, but she cannot get pregnant. Year after year, this goes on. Her dreams are dashed. She's disappointed month by month. So Elkanah takes on Panina. And she starts having children. But we know how that works, don't we? Remember Abraham? When Sarah gave permission that, that Abraham could have Hagar and she gets pregnant. And then Hagar starts making fun of Sarah and the baby mama drama was on. I mean, it just turned into, I mean, Sarah's 80 years old and she wants to punch her lights out. She is ticked because she has a baby and she's frustrated. God, what in the world is wrong with me? Notice what it says, verse 3. Year after year, this man Elkanah went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh where Hophni and Phinehas and the two sons of Eli were priests of the Lord. And whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Panina and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Isn't that sweet? Double portion. It shows the relationship they have and how much he loved her. But notice the next line. And the Lord had closed her womb. Notice who closed her womb. The Lord closed her womb. In fact, if you didn't get it the first time, look at the next verse. It says, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. How many have any doubt who closed her womb? God closed her womb. It repeats it again because he wants the reader to know that it's God behind this. This is not the devil. This is not the enemy. This is God himself behind the closing of her womb. You might be saying, wait a second, Eddie, if God is good, why is he closing her womb? 
I mean, really, if she has that desire and she has that longing and God wants her to have that, a baby, then why did he close her womb? We're going to come back to that in a moment. But I want you to know something. It's God that closed her womb. Notice next. It says her rival, Panina, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Can you imagine what she was going through? I mean, how many know that's what the enemy does? When you have an unfulfilled dream or desire, doesn't the enemy come up and mock you? I mean, you, you hear him speaking to you in your mind going, oh, where's God? Oh, you've been praying about that. Where's God? He, what? He's not listening to you. He's listening to everybody else, but he's not listening to you. How many know the enemy loves to pile on when we're going through difficult times? Year after year. Some of you remember when you began your marriage with such dreams, such hopes. Some of you remember when you began that business or started that friendship or began college or wanted a family. Hannah wants to be a mother. It's consuming her month after month, year after year. She's disappointed. God's not answering her prayers. So notice what it says. When Hannah went to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and could not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? I hate to break it to you guys. The answer is no. No. When somebody has a dream, how many know what matters the most is the fulfillment of the dream? doesn't matter what else you have. How many know when you're longing for God to do something in your life, it doesn't matter sometimes about all the other blessings because the enemy loves to sidetrack us and get us focused on other things. Instead of rejoicing in the fact that she has a great marriage and a man who loves her, she's so brokenhearted and consumed with the lack of her dream being fulfilled, she can't enjoy life. Oh, some of you know what I'm talking about. And I just want you to know, Elkanah was not being sweet here. I read it sweet. But guys, how many know? You know, women and guys, guys and women are different. A woman will cry, you know, weep and that. It doesn't mean guys don't cry, but we respond differently. We want to fix things. We want to solve the problem. And sometimes we get very impatient and frustrated. So he's been watching this go on. And I can see Elkanah going, okay, Hannah, how much longer are you going to cry about this? I mean, come on, how, how long has it been? Get over it. I'm better than having all these kids, come on. I mean, we love each other. Am I not good enough? I mean, you can hear his frustration in his voice because he's so bothered by what's going on. But isn't that what happens in our life? The issue is not her love for Elkanah, but nothing satisfies you when you have a dream that's unfulfilled. No gifts. No amount of shoes, no amount of money, nothing satisfies you when you do, when you have an unfulfilled dream in your life. Notice what it says. Once when they were finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, verse 9, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair at the doorpost of the Lord's house. And in deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. She made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. And she kept on praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth and Hannah was praying in her heart, but her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. I mean, no, that was a guy that had no discernment at all. His own sons were ungodly, and here's a godly woman, and he's going, hey, you're drunk. What are you doing here? And then he says to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way, ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, 
saying, because I asked the Lord for him. This is a long story, and I wanted you to see all of it. You know why? I'm going to take my coat off. Is that okay? I just pulled this off, but that's okay. I, I, I want you to hear the whole story. You know why? Because I wanted you to feel what she's feeling. Sometimes we aren't honest even in our own lives, and the enemy... He gets so on our case that sometimes we begin to lose confidence and trust in God. That not only that he's, not, that he's hearing us, but that he's somehow moving on our behalf. We become so visual by what we see, and if we don't see it, then we begin to become troubled. She can't understand what's going on, and so she's frustrated beyond belief that God is not responding. But how many know God was on the move? She just couldn't tell. She couldn't see behind the scenes, just as we can. So you say, well, Pastor Eddie, what does this mean for me? I want to give you three words that God gave me for you for what do you do when a dream delays or a vision delays in your life. And I know that this is going to help you and encourage you. Number one is the word timing. Timing. Would you say that with me? Timing. God is the God of timing. Say that with me. God is the God of timing. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is the God of timing. Say it to the other one you don't like as much. God, he's got a timing in your life. He has a timing. God is the God of timing. In fact, timing's so important, it's mentioned all throughout Scripture. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says God makes everything happen at the right time. How many know the Christmas story is the story of timing? The Bible says in Galatians 4.4, when the right time came, God sent his son into the world. A woman gave birth to him, and he came under the control of God's laws. In the, in the Greek, there are two words for time. The first is chronos. Chronos is linear, second by second, minute by minute, Hour by hour, day by day, week by week. We live in chronos time, don't we? God transcends time. He lives beyond time, but we don't. We live our life based upon time. So the Bible talks about linear time, but it also talks about kairos. Kairos is the Greek word for seasonal or divine appointments. Kairos is when God decides to do something, no one can stop him. When God decides he's going to do something, nobody can stop him and nobody can change it. You see, God operates in seasonal moments. Jesus lived his life in Kairos moments. In fact, Jesus said, everything the Father tells me to say, I say. Everywhere the Father tells me to go, I go. He lived his life like that. At the right time, Christ was born. At the right time, he walked this earth. At the right time, he bled and died. At the right time, he rose from the dead. And at the right time, he's coming back one day to take us all home. The kingdom of heaven is about timing. Now I want you to look at me. When you put your life in the care of the great shepherd, nothing in your life is random. It is all father filtered. It's all father filtered. The truth of the matter is the enemy is not as big and bad as he claims he is. You see, Jesus defeated him at the cross, triumphed over him, and he reigns and rules over him. You see, the enemy wants you to believe that he's got all this power and all this authority and he can do whatever he wants. But I want you to know something. He cannot do whatever he wants. Jesus Christ reigns in heaven on earth and underneath the earth. And there's no name and no authority greater than him. And I don't care if all hell cramps on your doorstep that Jesus is bigger and badder and he he will defeat the enemy because he cannot lose. He cannot be defeated. The problem is we want God to do all the good, but we don't always want the other. You see, nothing happens in your life accidentally or without good purpose. God closed, look at me, God closed Hannah's womb not because he was angry with her or disappointed in her. It had nothing to do with it. In fact, some of you are in the delay stage of your dream, not because God's mad at you, not because he's angry with you, not because he's disappointed with you, not because he's looking at your life and going, hey, hey, you're just not doing enough, praying enough, or giving enough. It's not about that at all. It has to do with timing. Delays are often God's design 
to prepare the way for his plans in our lives. But it's in the midst of delays that the enemy whispers in our ears and challenges the faithfulness of God. It's in the midst of those testing that the enemy comes alongside you and tries to get you to believe that God doesn't care, that God isn't listening, and you need to cast aside your confidence and trust in God. Habakkuk 2 says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. The vision is for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Oh, my friend, listen to me today. I want you to hear me. God is at work in your life behind the scenes. And whether you feel him, whether you see him, whether you can observe what he's doing right now. Some of you are in a dark place. You're in a place where you feel like, God, I can't see any light and I have no idea what you're doing. Some of you, the enemy is just, he's risen up against you and he says, I'm gonna take you out. I'm gonna destroy you. And so he's been breathing down your neck, claiming that God doesn't care, that God doesn't love you, that God is not with you. But God wants you to know today, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he cannot deny himself because he is immutable. He cannot change. And when he makes a commitment, he said, the work that I've started in you, I will finish it. I will complete it. And you can be confident in me that I will bring you through what you're going through. I will bring you through. The enemy wants you to believe no way, but you need to hear me. God is at work behind the scenes. It's all about timing in your life. Say the word timing. timing. Say it again. Timing. Second word. Write this down. Preparation. Preparation. Not only is timing important, but preparation is important. Preparation is the place where you and I have the greatest opportunity of giving up or growing up. Oh, come on, aren't we so infant in our faith so many times that unless God shows us stuff, we lose confidence in him? But how many know we have to grow up? We have to grow up, and faith requires that we grow up. Faith is something that's beyond feelings or emotions. It's not, listen, there are times in my life when everything looks like there's no way I'm going to survive. And it's at that moment when I don't feel God, when I can't see his hand, when I don't sense his presence, that I have to decide, decide whether it's fight or flight. I have to decide whether or not I'm gonna grow up or I'm going to give up. Oh, come on. How many know some people that are in their 50s that still haven't grown up? You know what I mean? They still have not grown up. And I'm not talking about, you know, like they like to play in that. But they've not grown up emotionally. They've not grown up relationally. They've not grown up in how they handle their finances. They've not grown up in how they've handled their walk with God. Don't elbow your husband next to you and go, he's talking to you right now. You know what I mean? Let's keep it a secret. It's okay. preparation is that place where God says, I know what I want to do in your life. God always takes time to prepare those that he's going to use for his purpose. And he's not in a rush. We are, aren't we? I mean, I don't know about you. Can I be honest with you? Impatience. Patience is not my greatest attribute. Seriously. I want God to do it yesterday. And when he doesn't do it yesterday, I start telling him how I think he missed an opportunity and how he should have figured it out and how he should have already arranged it. Oh, come on. Anybody else pray like that? Uh, God, uh, you had your chance right there. I mean, come on. Do I have to tell you what you need to be doing? I mean, come on, God. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. We think we know better. But God is not impatient. In fact, look at Moses. God took 40 years to prepare him for Pharaoh's courts. He, David spent years watching sheep before he ever faced Goliath or ever became king of Israel. Jesus spent 30 years being trained for three and a half years of ministry. God is not in a rush. 
See, God wants you to, to make it. He wants you to overcome. He wants you to fulfill the purpose, the vision, the plan that he has for your life. And I want you to know something. God's dreams are bigger than your dreams. See, in the church, we dream too small. We believe too small. And God wants us to grow up and to believe that he's bigger and he can do more. You say, well, how do you know that, Pastor Eddie? Because I'm a dad. I want you to know something. My dreams over my kids are bigger than my kids' dreams for their lives. When they were little, I'd stand at their crib. Or I'd walk in their room when they were asleep and I would begin to speak over their life. Oh, come on. How many parents know what I'm talking about? God, I pray. In the name of Jesus, billionaire would be nice. Billionaire. <laughs> I want to be used, God. I, you know, I have a lot of ministry to do. Billionaire. That's what I'm saying, God. No, you know what I say? God, I pray that my son, my daughters, will grow up and know you better than I ever knew you. That my son and my daughters will have a relationship with you and walk in the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and the power of God. And that wherever they go, there'll be such favor on their life because they've learned at a young age to follow you and to trust you. I dream over their lives. Imagine, how much more does God dream over our lives? God's dreaming over your life. He's dreaming over your marriage. He's dreaming over your children. He's dreaming over your business. He's dreaming over your finances. He's dreaming over your life. And his dreams are way bigger than your dreams. That some of you, you I look in your eyes, you've lost your dream. You've lost your vision. You've lost that sense of God that you can do something because all of hell has risen up against you. And you come to church and you sing the song. there's a hollowness there's an emptiness not because you don't believe that he's God but the enemy has convinced you that the God that you believe in is somehow not connected to you and responding to you and working on your behalf you say how can you say that let me tell you how. Do you know that the average Christian prays only two minutes a day? Two. Why is that? Why is it when we've been given access to the throne, not the outer court, not standing and yelling to God from a great distance going, hey God, hey, like he's passing by and we just kind of go, you know what? Hey, hey, wait, 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 God, don't go that way. Slow down, slow down. God's going, no, no, no. You get to come right up to my throne through the name of Jesus, through the grace of God, by faith. You get to walk right up. You know why? Because you're an adopted child of God. You are no longer part of the world system, and you're no longer part of that kingdom. You are now my child, and because you're my child, you can come right into the throne room, and you can sit and converse with me, and I will hear you, and I will respond to you. But you know what? We don't really believe that. Because only two minutes a day says, I'm frustrated. And I don't really believe that God's at work because I've been asking and nothing is changed. Can I ask you to pull your guard down just for a second? Because I know what I'm talking about. I've gone through some deep, dark, dark valleys in my life. Valleys that I thought I'll never survive. I will never get through this ever. I've gone through valleys where I thought, God, what did I do? I know I've got issues in my life, God, because none of us do, don't have issues, do we? I don't care who you are, you have issues. So you might as well just get you know real right now. We all have issues, don't we? Every single one of us. And if you don't think you do, ask your spouse, because they'll tell you the truth. They'll tell you what your issues are if you'll let them. And they'll tell you even if you don't want to let them. They'll just, they'll tell you. We all have issues. I've got news for you. Your pastor, as great a man as he is, he has issues in his life. I've been with him to Haiti. He has issues. He has issues. I, I know he has issues. But so do I. 
Only two. I know. I know. Only two. But we all do, don't we? We all do. Look at your neighbor and say, you have issues. You have issues. I mean, come on. You have issues. But then look at the other one and say, I have issues too. Come on. I have issues. Some of you are gulping. I could see a couple guys going, what? Uh, issues. Come on. The only issues in this house is they're not doing what I've told them to do because I know best. I, I know some of you. I know. I know. How many are still with me so far? Are you still here? I'm glad you gave before, the, before I preach because you might not after. I don't know. James says, my friends, consider yourself fortunate when you go through all kinds of trials that come your way, for you know that when your faith succeeds, how many want your faith to succeed? You want to stand strong through that. In facing such trials, the result is the ability to endure. Make sure your endurance carries you all the way through without failing. How many want that to be you? I don't want to fail. So what it say? So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Nothing, nothing. So the first thing is what? You forgot already. You haven't even left the sanctuary. You already forgot. Timing. Say, I'm kidding. Say timing. Timing. Second one is preparation. Preparation. The third one? Yeah, you have patience. Uh, uh, I get all these stuff. I should, I should have one of those. Dun, 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 dun. What's the answer? Third one? fulfillment third one is fulfillment god has a time that he says i want you to wait on my timing and then i'm going to prepare you for what i want to do and then i'm going to fulfill it because hannah would not give up on her dream god gives her samuel but listen to me it took years for that dream to come to pass. It took years for that to happen because God had to prepare her for what the dream would be. You see, she was praying, God, give me a child. I want a son because in those days, the son carried the name. That was the, that was the blessing of God to give me a son that could carry on the lineage. What she saw was, I want a son. What he saw is, I want to give the greatest judge and prophet that Israel is known to be during that time that's going to anoint Saul as king and going to anoint David as king. Samuel was such a man of God that when he came to cities, cities trembled in fear because he so knew God. I mean, God had a bigger plan, didn't he? Here's Hannah going, God, give me a son. And God goes, I will. I'm going to close your womb. You know why? Because Hannah had to be prepared to give her dream back to God so God could show her how big the dream was that he had for her in his life, in her life. See, some of you right now, God's waiting on you. He's working on you so that you will give the dream back to him so that he can do more than what you're dreaming. You see, Hannah had to go through this in order to say, God, you, I, you can be trusted, and you have something bigger than I ever even imagined. God wanted to raise up a man of God. But in order for Hannah to be willing to come to that place, to say, God, if you'll just remember me, if you'll just give me the desire of my heart, if you'll just fulfill this vision, God, that would be amazing. But notice what she said. She says, I promise, if you'll fulfill it, I'll give the dream back. My son will follow you. He will be your servant. What's she saying? This dream will be yours. It's no longer my dream. But God, it's your dream through me. How many would rather walk in God's dream? For your life, for your kids, for your marriage, for your family, rather than your dream that you're holding on so tight and going, God, You'll just do this. God goes, wait, wait, wait. I put that in you. But you got to trust me. Are you willing to give it back? Are you willing to say that this is yours, that this belongs to you? Are you willing? Are you willing to give me your business? Are you willing to give me your finances? Are you willing to give me your marriage? Are you willing to give me your children? Are you willing to say, God, whatever it takes, I want not only this dream fulfilled, but I want your dream fulfilled.
My mom is a PK, preacher's kid. My mom grew up in a godly home. Her mother was an, a pastor and an evangelist. My mom served God all her life. Her brothers and sisters served God. And my mom fell in love with a guy who had a call in his life. And he, he went through training, got his license, and became a pastor of a church. My mom and he fell in love, and they got married. And they pastored a church together. Not long in the relationship, she got pregnant, and I was their first child that was born. And they began to have problems, difficulties, struggles. And my biological father, who was pastoring this church, ended up having an affair. And he ran off with another woman. Left my mom to take care of this little 19-month-old child. Courts ordered him to pay child support. $75 a month. I was so valuable, he wrote one check. He completely left and continued doing ministry in another place in the country. Left my mom to take care of. Well, you can imagine the, the grief and the pain. Do you see, in those days, don't try to add up how old I am right now to figure out what those days are. <laughs> but there was a time in the church, if you were divorced, you were almost an outcast. Seriously, you were almost not welcome in the church. If you were a preacher's wife and divorced, you were cursed. I mean, literally, churches did not want to have ministers' wives and, and them, and it was really, really difficult. So my mom gets not only rejected by her husband, but gets rejected by the church. Then the enemy's whispering in her ears, look what you did, and all these other things. And so she became bitter. She became offended at God. You see, your greatest challenge in life is that during the dark times when the enemy's whispering in your ears not to become and saying all these things accusing God that you don't, you don't eat from his morsels. Take them in your spirit and become embittered at God. How many have ever met somebody that's angry at God for what other people have done? I mean, no, that's not God's fault. But yet they've heard the enemy and they bought the lie, and now they're bitter. Now they're angry. Now it's God's fault. He did all this stuff, and he's the reason all this has happened. Let me just tell you, if you've been hurt by somebody, I want you to know something. It's not because of God. It's not because of God. We are, we are flawed people, and sometimes we do stupid things. Sometimes we do evil things. We say evil things. We gossip. We declare things we shouldn't be saying she got offended and she walked away from god first time in her life she began to drink she began to smoke she began to do all this stuff she met my dad i call him my dad because i was adopted at 12 years old he was my father and he she met my dad they moved in together he was an alcoholic a navy man who was angry bitter he was a hyper-perfectionist. Nothing ever made him happy. Barely ever laughed. I hardly ever remember him smiling. But I remember his words all my life. You'll never be anything. You'll never do anything. You're stupid. You can't amount to anything. Why are you like this? On and on and on and on and on. How many know words have incredible power? But I loved him. But they have incredible power. My mom and my dad moved in together unmarried. She got pregnant, had my sister. And they decided to get married. And my mom spun into depression because she's known the voice of God and the presence of God. But now all of a sudden, she can't hear him. And she's in bondage and she's hurting. And so my mom falls into severe depression and decides she's going to kill herself. So she got in her car and drove up to the Sierra Mountains, not far from here. She looked for a place where it was high enough that she could drive her car off of the cliff. And as she would go off the cliff, she would be killed. So here she is, headed that direction. But aren't you glad that we don't chase God, God chases us? And I don't care how bad you run your life in the ditch, God pursues you. 
You don't pursue him. He's chasing you. And if you're running from God, I've got good news for you. You can't run fast enough, hard enough, or angry enough to get away from God. Because when you get worn out and get tired, he's going to be standing right there going, I knew you would end up right here, and I've been waiting the whole time. In fact, I've been on this whole journey with you, and I've been waiting here. And by the way, I'm not mad at you, and I'm not ticked at you, and I'm not angry at you. I'm in love with you, and if you'll give me your life, I can turn it around. Just give it back to me. Come on. Give it back to me. I'm for you. Aren't you glad he's like that? He's not, he's not angry. So my mom looks for a place, and as she's about to go off the cliff, the presence of God shows up in the car. First time in years she's felt God or heard his voice. And the Holy Spirit says, Ruth, don't you know if you just ask, I'll forgive you? She began to weep. And then God showed her a vision and showed her that if she took her life, that her three children, me, my sister, and my brother, would never know the Lord because my dad would never take us to church. And that the anointing that was on, my mom, that on her mom was going to be on her children. And that all three of her kids were called to ministry. And her job was to raise us and to train us to know God and to know how to walk with God. So my mom pulls off the side of the road and she repents, gets right with God, and our home became a war zone. It became terrible, terrible, terrible. When my dad would come home, I'd get sick to my stomach because he was so angry that my mom gave her life to Jesus. He wanted her to give her life to him and him exclusively. So I grew up in a home that had a lot of anger, a lot of hurt, and because of that, and because of my picture of God, that God was unpleasable because my dad was unpleasable, at 13 years old, I walked away from God. Five years of my life, I did drugs, alcohol. I mean, I went hard for the devil. I'm, a, I'm an all or nothing person. Anybody in here like that? You know what I mean? Like, I don't have, I don't have you know, one of those, uh, those regulators in my life. I'm like, oh, I'm in. If I'm, if I'm in it, I'm in it. And so I went all the way. God had blessed me as an athlete. I... I played high school football, had colleges looking at scholarshiping me, Stanford, Berkeley, University of Washington. I was a wide receiver. I was very fast, and I had really good hands. And I was fast because we had a bully on our street. <laughs> and it was survival. I learned my best moves evading the bully. I mean, I learned how to run. And as a result of that, God had blessed me, but my life was blown out. But my mom wouldn't quit. Five years of my life, she lived on her knees praying for me. She didn't preach at me. She stood on the word and said, God, you made a promise to me that my kids were going to serve you. You said, if I served you, you'll save me and my family. And I'm holding you to that. And devil, you can't have my son. He doesn't belong to you because when he was a little boy, I dedicated him to the Lord and he already belongs to the Lord. So you have to take your hands off of him and you can't have him. I don't care what he's doing now. My son will be a man of God. My son will be serving God. My son will be used by God and my son will serve the Lord with all his heart. She would pray and pray. I made my mom a prayer warrior. I want you to know that. She's an intercessor because I was such a mess. But my mom wouldn't give up. And at 19 years old, walking down the street on a sidewalk, God showed up. I was high on drugs. You say, how do you know God showed up? Eddie, you were high. Oh, when God shows up, you know God showed up. I sobered up. God shows up. You don't, you don't go, hey, uh, this is really cool right now. I was like, oh, my word, God's here. And he said, son, aren't you tired of your life and what you're doing? I said, absolutely, but I can't quit. I'm addicted. I can't stop. He said, you don't need to worry about that. Give me back your life. I can't stop. I, you don't need to worry about that. Give me back your life. And right on the sidewalk, I said, Jesus, I've run my life in the ditch. Here it is. You can have it. If you can use it, thank you. Here it is. And God came into my heart, set me free instantaneously of drugs and alcohol, Three months later, filled me with the Holy Spirit. I thought I was going to be a Christian football player and be a witness for him. And I was going, God, now I want to go play football for you. And he said, son, you're not that good. You don't, you... I, I've called you to preach. And beside, when I look at these guys playing football, I'm like, thank you, Jesus, that you called me to preach. 
Because I would not be here right now. I would be dead someplace. It's like, thank you, God. And God literally took my life, turned it around, and I've been preaching ever since. You know why? Because it didn't matter what my mom saw. It didn't matter what was going on. You see, when God gives you a dream and a vision, it doesn't matter what the enemy says. You see, this is not the time to give up, church. This is the time to rise up. This is not the time to quit on God. This is the time to say God is faithful and God is good. Some of you are one prayer away from an answer. That's why the enemy's fighting you so hard. He's saying, quit, give up, throw your faith aside. And I'm here to tell you, you've come too far to quit on God now. It is time to rise up in the authority of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, and say, God, I am the head and not the tail, and I'm a child of God, and I will overcome. You didn't create me to survive. You created me to thrive in the name of Jesus. Why? Because greater is he that's in me, in you, in you, in you, in you, in you, than he that's in the world. Don't you dare tell me how big the enemy is because he's nothing compared to God. And you will overcome. He's given you his name, his word, his authority, his spirit. He's your front guard and your rear guard. The angel of the Lord encamps around you and everywhere you go, it belongs to you, the word says. So I say, church, it's time to rise up. The word says, and let me finish. Do not be weary in doing what is right. For in due season. Remember Kairos? At the right time. At the right time. You will reap. But what's the condition? If you do not faint. In other words, if you don't give up, you will reap. That's why, my friend, don't you dare quit. I don't care how black it looks. Don't you dare quit. I don't care if all hell is mustered against you. Don't you dare quit. You know why? Because God is for you. And God is in you. And God is with you. And you will not fail you will not be overcome, but you will rise up in the name of Jesus and you will show forth the glory of God by the answers that God does in and through your life. And you will be a testimony for his glory because in 2016, I want you to know something. We need to walk in faith like never before. We think things have gotten tough. As the day of the Lord approaches, it's going to require more faith. We must rise up in the name of Jesus and say, you know what? I don't care what I feel. The the word of God says this and I'm going to stand upon it and if all hell breaks against me I know I will win and I will not be overcome because God is with me I will so my question to you is this have you rolled over Isaiah says of the people of God that they've laid down and become a smooth road for the enemy to walk on them. Have you laid down? Have you allowed the enemy to rob you of the dream, the vision, what he wants to do, God wants to do in your life? It may be for marriage. It may be for a better marriage. It may be for kids to come home. It may be your fine. I don't know what your dream is, but I do know this. God is a God who delights fulfilling the dream of his people that will serve him. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, in Jesus' name, you are here right now, and you are speaking. I sense your presence and your spirit talking to people in this room. Father, I don't know everything that's happening, but I do know this. God, there's some people in this room that love you. And the enemy has come in like a flood. And he's accused. He has fought. He has done everything in his power to try to get them to lose their confidence and trust in you and your faithfulness ask you today to do a supernatural work 
your eyes closed, your heads bowed, just for a moment. Listen, I know what I'm talking about because I've been there and worse. I know what it's like. Have the enemy screaming in your ears because a dream has not been fulfilled. A vision he's given you. I know what it's like. I know also what it's like to live by faith and to say to the enemy no matter what you say to me I will live and not die and this dream will happen because God gave me this dream my mom's been married she's married to a godly man celebrating my 25th year. I've been married longer than than she was with my bio dad and my dad who adopted me. Started a new link in the chain. God's doing some incredible things. Church, can I ask you a question? As I'm preaching to you today, I believe that God wants to encourage some people today because as you roll into 2016 it's going to take faith and it's time for you to get up dust yourself off and say God your dream is bigger than mine and I trust you to fulfill it I am not giving this up but I am going to trust you how many would just buy an upraised hand no one's looking around just say Pastor Eddie you know what that word was for me today you have no idea the war the hell, the battle. The, you know, I've been believing God for something for so long and it's just not happened. And I, I just am discouraged about that. I needed that word today for me because the enemy's trying to steal my dream. He's trying to steal the vision that I have. And that word was for me. How many by an upraised hand would say, that's me, Pastor Ray. I need God to touch me today to do a work. Yes, so many people. Thank you for your honesty. Secondly, Today, I know there's some people here, you're not right with God, but you want to be. I got good news for you. God's not angry with you. He's not mad at you. He loves you. He doesn't have a harsh word for you. He wants you to come home. You say, how do I come home? It starts by admitting, God, you know what? I've, rege- I've walked away from you, but today I open the door of my heart and I give you my life. You say, can God fix my life, Eddie? Yes, yes, yes. You're here, I'd like to have the privilege to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'd like to, to know right now, if you're here and you say, Bro, you know, Eddie, I want to I come back. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus, but today you want to. Would you just slip your hand up and say, pray for me. Pastor Eddie, pray for me, because today I want to get my life right with God. I want my life to be His. Would you put it up right now? Come on, no one's looking. Just slip it up high. Yes, ma'am. Come on. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Anybody else? I want to get my life. God's speaking to some hearts right now. Don't resist him. He loves you. You can put it down after you raise it. I'm going to wait about 10 more seconds. About 10 more seconds. You are away from God. Today is your day. Thank you, ma'am. Let's stand to our feet. Everybody here. Pastor is going to come in a moment, but I want to pray for you. Stand to your feet, everyone. I want you to know I love you. How many received that word today? How many received that word? Would you pray this prayer out loud with me? Come on, lift your hands right now. Maybe you've never done it. Would you just do it as an act of climbing in the lap of your father? Just say, Jesus, thank you for your word. You said I'd know the truth and it would make me free. Thank you for loving me so much that you gave me this word about my faith, about my dream and my vision. I believe that whether I see you or not, whether I feel you or not, you are at work putting the pieces together and you are making sure that what you promised will be fulfilled. And I declare today that you are trustworthy, that you are faithful, And you are with me. And you are at work in my life. 
And I give you praise for that. And God, today I declare that I believe in you. Help me to stand strong, to believe when everything's against me, that you are in me, with me, and for me. And I give you praise for that. God, cleanse my heart. Where I failed you, where I've blown it, where I've resisted you, heal my heart, restore me today, renew me today, fill me with faith, with confidence, with joy. I surrender to you, Jesus' name. Now I want to pray for you, Father, in the name of Jesus. I pray from the back of the room to the front. May God, your presence just flood people's hearts right now. God, you are here, and I ask you, God, let this room be a healing place, Father, in Jesus' name. I I call dreams back, God. I call, God, I, I ask for faith to arise in the name of Jesus. I pray, God, that you would renew and restore, and may the people of God begin to trust you and believe in you like never before, God. We want to stand in confidence and faith, God, and we know that, God, we may be in a battle, but you, God, have given us authority. You've given us your word, and we will overcome because you overcame and we give you praise for that in the name of Jesus. Come on church, can we give him a shout of praise? Come on. Hallelujah. How many received that today? Amen. Praise the Lord. This will be a great year. Take that leap of faith. Believe God this year for the greater things. Don't let it